You are listening to episode 273 on University of Adversity. Well, I think it's also steps, right? We could be so hard on ourselves with we're supposed to, we have to do it this way, we have to do it that way. I think it's the same with feelings. We have to feel this way, we should feel that way. And it's really important to give us the, give ourselves the time and the space to feel the way that we need to, to do the things that we need to, instead of focus on supposed to. Uh, it's not, it's not so linear, right? Healing isn't linear. Sometimes we, we feel like we go 10 steps forward and then we go 20 steps backwards and we're so much harder on ourselves and we take the steps backwards, but it's, it's kind of meant to be that way. You know, we can take leaps and bounds if we give the time and the space to the healing. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. Today's guest is a great friend of mine. Her name is Cass Ferreira. Got to know her this year. The amount that she's grown and what I could see her and stepping into her power is really, truly inspiring. You guys, her story is crazy and I've been wanting to get her on for a while. And I asked her as well, I said, what should we name this episode? Because we talked about a lot. We named this episode Beyond Survival, Self-Love and Compassionate Parenting while embracing compassion through adversity. It really sums up our conversation from her story to what she's up to now, what she's working through. You guys are going to take away a lot of value from this. I can guarantee that. And I have been requested to get more powerful women on this show. So there you have it. Cass's story will inspire you and most importantly, will help you realize that if you've gone through similar things, if you're going through similar things, that you aren't alone. That is the point of the show is to understand that we aren't alone in this. We're, we all go through shit. We all go through challenges, but it's about being empowered and using that to get through and seeing that as a tool for us to grow, to get better. If we get stuck being the victim, we won't get out of it. If we can empower ourselves to take action, things will always get better. Adversity is a tool for us to grow. So we need to learn how to embrace it in all areas. And Cass, really, her story, I promise you, will do that. So without further ado, Cass Ferreira. Here we go. Cass, how you doing? All right. How are you doing? <laughs> so good. So good. I'm really happy that we get to do this finally and connect uh, on yeah. the show. We've connected a few times. And it's been a while since we've been talking about this, so I'm happy. So thank you for coming yeah. on. Thank, thank you, you for, for having on. me. Um, you know, I would say, let's start with, there's so many ways that I want to take this conversation and talk about, but first of all, how are you feeling after Sedona? I feel like anyone I've talked to from FFS, we got to kind of unpack that a little bit, at least to start, Mm -hmm. you know, because it was so powerful. You know, Mm -hmm. how was it for you? How are you feeling now? A few weeks out. A few weeks out, I think I'm doing all right. Uh, but it's always weird coming back to reality after being on trips like that and, and with the, the tribe and, and all that stuff. Uh, but if we, a few weeks out, I think, uh, it all starts integrating a bit more and get more settled and, and all that. So 
Mm-hmm. Hasn't been too bad, but the first week was rough for sure. In what way? Mostly just uh, trying to take it all in. Like, what's everything you learned? What's everything you saw? You know, what's everything you experienced? Because it's so much packed into a few days. Uh, and really giving yourself the time and the space to take that all in. Uh, where when you have to jump right back into work and things like that, like that can get in the way. So really making the time to just think about it. And then I started a journaling course, Eric Godsey's journaling course, and that's helped a lot as well. So, yeah, yeah. It's funny when we go to these events, we almost feel like there's like some certain, some way we're supposed to like come back and like, put it like we're supposed to identify it and box it into a certain way. Like there's, I find it, it's really challenging because we don't really know how to integrate, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you know, we get better at it each time, but it's these expectations too that we have Mm -hmm. that, Oh shit. Like how, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be this like enlightened person but I feel like this, (laughs) right? Like this is the conversations. And like, you know, as it's so funny because like each time we go on those, I know for me, I don't really know what to expect yet. I Mm want to sort of box it into this thing of like, this is what I'm supposed to do, or this is how I'm supposed to feel yet. It ends up kind of kicking me in the face a lot of times. Like, I think I know, like I got in a huge fight with my mom, my brother, (sighs) massive, and I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, that's interesting. And I got, I'm like, I really don't have it figured out like I thought I did. <laughs> well, I think it's also steps, right? Yeah. We could be so hard on ourselves with we're supposed to, we have to do it this way. We have to do it that way. I think it's the same with feelings. We have to feel this way. We should feel that way. And it's really important to give us the, give ourselves the time and the space to feel the way that we need to to do the things that we need to instead of focus on supposed to. Uh, it's not It's not so linear, right? Mm-hmm. Healing isn't linear. Sometimes we, we feel like we go 10 steps forward and then we go 20 steps backwards and we're so much harder on ourselves when we take the steps backwards. But it's, it's kind of meant to be that way, you know? We can take leaps and bounds if we give the time and the space to the healing. Yeah. Yeah, there's no formula. There's... Mm-mm. it's yeah. And it's, it's paying attention to the feelings that we get and honoring them as part of it. And you mentioned the journaling and that has been, and I didn't, I didn't get a chance because as we were speaking about, you know, we had the call today, journaling mm-hmm. call, and I didn't speak cause I started to feel sick in my stomach, which is funny because maybe it was meant for me to keep my mouth shut for a change. <laughs> <laughs> But I was like, really, I wanted to put into that. And I I mean, a lot of the listeners have heard me talk about journaling, how important Mm -hmm. it's been for me. And this core, I've I've been journaling since we got back, like consistently. This is like, what, three weeks, almost, what, three weeks ago? I don't even know. For a month? Time. Um, Time doesn't, yeah. So it has helped me so much. Mm -hmm. Like, not just it being a structured journal course, like that is great. But the action of just committing to doing, putting words to paper, you know, like Mm -hmm. alchemizing 
alchemizing language to the paper, like Godzi talks about, or even, you know, it's like words, language is magic. And it's like alchemizing that magic to the paper. It's like, it's amazing. And for, you know, I have had so much chatter in my mind and, you know, what we went through and there was like so many things and I'm only using Sedona as a, a one example of like unpacking it and the before and after I'm trying to make sense of everything. And the only way to like really bring that to life is to journal and to unload all that onto paper. It's like you um, allow yourself to connect to your truth of who you actually are because of the rest of the bullshit that the first, you know, two pages of writing is usually just like nonsense. Yeah. But it's so important mm-hmm. at getting to the getting to that core truth of ours, which is which rarely most people rarely get to. They rarely give themselves the option. And mm-hmm. when you start to do that consistently and you start to give yourself that time, that's why it's so important to have that time because it is really going to make you better throughout your day and everything. So that has just been like, wow. But when you do that, you're also facing a lot of truth and a lot Mm -hmm. of things surface too. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh shit, like I need to, I can't hide from this. And I think from an event like that, especially when, you know, you're, you're, you're doing this energy work or if you do plant medicine or any medicines like that, you're like, there's so much happening that there change is going to happen and you have to face those changes. So like journaling, oh man, it's just been so powerful. You're a fan, huh? <laughs> I, I, I just don't know how else to, to really um, express like how anybody can unpack things otherwise. Yeah. I think... I find journaling challenging for a lot of reasons, whereas I find poetry writing much less challenging and kind of depending where my mindset is at. But I really loved what came up today in our call around making sure that you're journaling as if no one else is ever going to read it and just like dance like no one's watching. You know, it's it's that same when you're writing. And, and I recognize that I since I was young, probably journaled, assuming one day it's going to be my autobiography and I'm, I'm just, you know, I, everyone's going to see it. Uh, so what you're talking about in bringing that true, authentic voice to your writing, you can only do that when you're deeply connected and when you're stepping away from the assumption that anyone will ever look at it and you're really doing it for you. And I think that a lot of folks have a hard time doing things just for them. So it is, it's a beautiful and deep exercise. Yeah. I think the resistance is pretty normal for everyone too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Like, it is. And I, I think that it's, it creates a lot of freedom for people too. And that's why it's hard is that on the other side of it, there's a lot of like, you know, sometimes the hardest things are the most medicine for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it can it can just strip you raw. Mm. I still at times still think, well, what if somebody reads this? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, that's a good point because it's yeah. true. But it, like you almost need to burn it. Burn it. Like you almost Do need a to solid burning ceremony. Get rid of it. Because 
there's there's things that yeah it's it's so strange how different how different you write when you think that there's a chance of somebody reading it mm-hmm. isn't that crazy For sure. I mean, there's a lot of things we do differently when we think someone is going to be watching. Mm, yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Our, all of our interactions are usually based on the judgment and the perceptions of others. And mm. so having the opportunity to journal for you only, to dance for you only, to sing for you only, you know, all of those things are so powerful once you start really being able to step into them. Yeah. So I know that you've had quite the story <laughs> in, in your little life, bit <laughs> in your life. And, you know, I love that you're really like experiencing a lot and there you still continually are. And, you know, since getting to know you, remember the first time that we spoke in Tulum, you know, it's been great to get to know you. Um, you're a very passionate person. You got you, you, but you, you know, you also, can you get emotional too? And, you know, like, I think we all do, but you're very like passionate and, you know, I know you've talked about a little bit about your background and what mm-hmm. you've, your life and that, but for those that are kind of just getting to know you for the first time, or if you maybe haven't really walked, talked about your story, like I would love if you could take us back and, you know, maybe walk us through what it was uh, like for a young cast growing up. <laughs> Walk us through a bit of your journey. Uh, okay. So I grew up in uh, the Bay Area in California. So I grew up in Richmond, California. Um, not the same Richmond as now. So I grew up in the ghetto. Uh, biracial. So half black, half white. I grew up with an awesome stepdad. And um, I was about maybe eight or nine when my parents got divorced, jumped from school to school, uh, kind of have done everything. Like I've been, I've been homeless. I've uh, been hungry. I've also been very lucky and had great houses. (laughs) I have one now. I didn't go to college. All right. Let me rephrase. I failed out of community college like three times because I had to work. Uh, and I just wasn't motivated. School wasn't for me. So after getting out of high school and uh, running a organic store in Berkeley, it was very much a Berkeley store. Uh, I ended up getting into tech and uh, worked my way up through a few tech jobs, landed at Google. And uh, in between that time, was in a relationship, got a divorce, got married, got a divorce. Yeah, it's just kind of like a a bunch of different things that happened in a really short succession of time. And now I'm remarried to stepsons and I'm a tech exec at a startup with an awesome woman who worked with me at Google. She was a VP at Google. Um yeah. So I don't know. There's so many things to pick from and I don't know how deep to really go. Well, let's start with being homeless. Yeah. So let's unpack that. What led to that happening and take us back to like what that felt like, because mm. I can, I can't imagine how old were you? What was going on? Like, how did that happen? First of all, 
Why mm -hmm. did that happen? Mm -hmm. Well, my mother was in a uh, severely abusive relationship from uh, not with my stepfather. Uh, so after their divorce, she was with someone from when I was about age nine through 14. Um, and about in the middle there, uh, she decided to leave him. And there was not, I, I think it was about 11. There wasn't really, um, she didn't have a job. So there was no real cash flow, but we needed to get out of that house. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. And so we kind of just bounced around um, for a little bit. She did end up getting a job and then we would stay in hotels every now and then stayed in like my grandma's backyard in a, not really like a trailer, but just one of those like cover-ups. They're kind of like tents on wheels. Uh, we did that for a few months, uh, in between. How old, were you then? How old were you then? Yeah. So it was in between sixth and seventh grade. So it was about oh, 12. Wow. wow. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So you were going to school while, while. Oh living? yeah. Yeah. And of course, no one knew anything was happening. I mean, I am the queen of disassociation and pretending like everything is fine and it's awesome and not letting anyone know. And legitimately, it's kind of dangerous to let folks know that you're in that type of situation, right? Like, you know, it's it was clear to me by that age that if I let people know what was going on, then maybe they would take me away from my mom or, you know, just these these things go through your head of why you have to close up and not really uh, open up to the people around you. So I don't think most my friends, maybe one or two, really knew what was going on. You know, I try and put myself in that position. And that's such an age where it's, it's so emotional and safety is so important. And like not really having that foundation that solid foundation is so challenging at that age because you have so many things you're becoming a teenager you know like you're changing into a, an adult like there, that's such a hard time like you couldn't pay me enough money to go back to those days <laughs> yeah tell like me about those, it <laughs> those, those were the days that i i went through bullying and i remember mm -hmm. it's so challenging at those at that time and what was it like holding in the secret of that though? Like, and, and then having to go to school and you know how kids are cruel, like they make fun of people mm -hmm. and like, mm -hmm. I remember, you know, maybe make, make fun of people who are poor and like, it's brutal. Mm -hmm. Kids are in mm -hmm. school and you have to like pretend like, what was that like? I think I learned at a very young age how to put on a happy face. It was just a product of the life I lived. Uh, I also learned at a young age how to keep people at a distance. So, uh, I mean, I never had a ton of friends. I was, I was, I was hella bossy. I was very opinionated and, uh, kids at that age really don't like that. And I think I used that a little bit as a shell for letting people not get close to me. Uh, I don't think it was until middle school and high school, people really noticed, uh, how, you know, not financially well off I was um, because there, you know, I had holes in my shoes and, and, you know, same, same clothes. Um, I loved thrift town, shout out to thrift town because you could go and get some like solid, good used clothes. But I think there was a lot of other things going on at that time. Uh, that same year when I was 11 to 12, I really went into 
a fairly disassociative state because I was um, sexually assaulted for the first time. So if you ask me to like look back on some of those years, I don't remember a lot of it as well. Um, and I didn't remember that up until a few years ago. So that time in general for me, it's just, it's a little bit of a blur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did you discover that? How did you? Um, I always, like I knew it was a thing. Uh, and I kind of, your mind is, is amazing and will try to protect you as much as it can. And I just, every time I kind of tried to approach it in my mind, it would just, you know, dissipate or I'd, I'd explain it away. Right. And you, you find this a lot in, um, in survivors who've been through similar, similar things. And, uh, when I want to say about three years ago, I finally was in a really solid relationship. I had a great job. I was feeling just really amazing and finally felt happy for the first time in, I don't know, 20, 25 years. And I started having flashbacks and I started having dreams. And I started hearing things and um, sat with it. And I realized like, oh, shit something really bad happened to me. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, it felt a little bit like a mental break for sure. It was, it was really deep and it, it was to the point where at one point uh, I heard my, my kid crying in the background, like I was cooking dinner. I remember it. And it was one of the biggest flashbacks I had. And, and I like dropped the knife I was cooking and I was just shaking and I could hear myself crying and so I, I ended up the next week uh, searching out for a therapist to kind Whoa. of help out with that because I couldn't function normally and it definitely didn't feel, didn't feel like me for sure. Oh, cause I mean, a lot of times I was, first of all, I was going to ask you if that was through plant medicine, because a lot of people mm -hmm. don't realize that they were sexually assaulted until they're shown it through plant medicine. So that's really interesting that you were shown that without Oh yeah. I, wow. I hadn't at that point in my life, I had done nothing except for a little bit of pot. Like I hadn't done anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was, that was just me and my brain. <laughs> you know, we're, that's, that's some crazy trauma. So, you know, what, what I find really interesting is like, you know, we're doing a lot of this stuff in really confronting trauma these days and mm -hmm. talking about it and trying to understand it you know, from zero to seven, zero to 10, um, so much happens and we're, you know, that's ingrained until later. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's traumatizing what you went through, but was there anything before that, that you can think of that you feel has had the biggest impact on your life today, as far as trauma that you have to address, you know, mm -hmm. or has, or has it just been a constant, like, you know, it's it's hard to really pinpoint which trauma was the thing that really affected us. In in, in sometimes it's a small thing, sometimes it's a bigger thing, mm -hmm. and I I just get I love to figure out you know like what is the the thing? Is there any other things that you can really look back now as having like massive impact that you're still working through, aside from the assault? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, before age nine. You know, my parents had a very rocky relationship 
And that always impacted me. You know, it's hard to see your parents fight. It's Mm -hmm. hard to see it get cray cray. Mm -hmm. It's hard to watch your mom leave your dad. Um, It's hard to see them as fallible humans, you know, and, and I think I've been talking to a lot of folks about this lately, seeing their parents as these really human people who make mistakes. And I realized that at a very early age, uh, I think something else that comes up is, um, which I, I wouldn't consider a trauma, but was a huge developmental experience I had was when I was seven, I, uh, I figured out uh, maybe I was six, but I figured out that my stepdad was not my biological father um, and confronted my family about it. Um, first, my grandma's, because I was like, Grandma, tell me what's up. Like, Daddy, my real daddy. And she was like, You got to talk to your mom. So, um, so my mom sat me down. But I mean, straight up, I was, I was brown and everybody else was white. So it was really clear something odd was going on. Uh, and I saw my birthing video and he wasn't there. I'm like, what's going on? Y'all ain't telling me something. Um, so that was, that was a really interesting identity shift for me in recognizing that, hearing that, um, you know, being curious about my history and my biological father, who I now have a great relationship with. We met when I was 18. But yeah, like that, that was a huge turning point of just assessing well, who am I, you know, like, what am I, who am I if I'm not this man's biological daughter? And, and you'd think, you'd think it would affect the relationship a lot, but really like, I got a little bit jealous of my brother, uh, my little brother's three years younger. Cause I was like, Oh damn, he's, he's better than me. And then I was like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm pretty cool. Like even at seven, I realized that. And I was more worried that like, did my grandparents know? Does he know? Is everyone aware of what's going on? And as soon as I found out, everyone knew I was like, okay, good. So it's not some big secret. I was the only one that didn't know. And now we can, we can move forward. So. Did you face many like racial challenges growing up, like in your circle of friends? Was it, was it, was that, you know, I mean, some people face it, some people don't, I don't know, but like in your environment, you know, was it, was that a challenge for you? Like identifying, like who were you identifying as? Like, like is your, cause usually if you're brown, you know, it depends on who you're around, your environment makes, makes it up. So how did you feel in that moment? And how did, how did that kind of unfold for you? Yeah. I mean, I always knew I looked different. The older I get, the more, uh, my mom likes the word swarthy, you know, you don't really know what I am. Uh, and it's always interesting to try to like hear how people judge my appearance based upon how my hair is done or Mm. if I'm blonde or dark haired or if I have red lipstick on or whatever. Uh, when I was younger, it was a lot more obvious. I had like basically a fro, uh, super dark, curly, curly hair, a few shades darker because I was always in the sun. So it was very clear that I was biracial or, you know, of color. It was a really weird journey for me to be in Richmond growing up. Uh, so I started off 
my schooling with a few years in a Catholic school where I was one of the only, you know, I think there's like three brown girls in the class. And I always noticed I looked like them. It's one of the reasons why I ended up asking my my parents, like, who's who's my biological father? Because one of the girls was like, oh, you look like my cousin. She's got a white mom too. And I was like, what's up? Like, what's that mean? Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. And then I ended up, after my parents divorced, I ended up at a school um, in Richmond, a public school. And if anyone knows about Richmond public schools, like, they ain't that great. Um, the teachers were great, but the school was, you yeah. and, um, and the culture shock of being judged for my looks or my white mom or, um, or that I talk too good, you know, like, oh, you, you ain't one of us cause you talk too good, uh, was constant. And, uh, it was really interesting, like going through middle school, a lot of my friends and, and a lot of them I still know were generally like more of the outcasts. Like we didn't really fit in with one group or the other. A lot of biracial kids in those groups. Um, Cause you, you don't really know what your identity is. You don't really know where you fit in. And that's such a hard age in general. And if you're not willing to conform, which I have always had a very difficult time conforming, uh, you tend to have less acceptance overall in your social groups. Uh, so I think that's one thing I I had. I just refused to conform to one way or the other. Um, but then even growing up, like being too black for the whites, being too white for the blacks, and the Latins are like, you look Latin, why don't you speak Spanish? Like it's just, it's just a fucking, ugh, you know? And um and now I, I feel a lot less of that because there's so many more like interracial relationships and biracial kids and all that. Um, but it's still, it's still an interesting dynamic and a really, I love reading articles on people talking about, um, you know, biracial folks, especially in America, cause it's, it's a different way to grow up for sure. Yeah. It's such a interesting topic because that age is so difficult. Again, like we said, it's kids shouldn't have to be worrying about that, you know, like it's, and, and kids can be cruel. And I guess it, like, it depends on where you go to school and where you end up, you know, and it's, it can be, and now it's becoming more like there are a lot more like interracial relationships and it, and it's becoming more, normal which is which is great i think it's beautiful mm-hmm. like i think it's it's just i know how kids are and and like mm-hmm. and i know how it was in my school and how people talked and i'm like man i would people are so cruel and to have to deal with that that can have lasting impact later on okay. on who you who are you you know like and and it's not even about your skin color, but like it becomes that. And it's like, you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're human, you're, you know, you're, and it just, it's crazy how we put ourselves in these boxes and how, mm-hmm. you know, again, like, well, you're like this, so you need to be like this and you're like this. So you need mm-hmm. to be like that. It's like, fuck that. Like, just be who you are, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's something I, I never had to worry about. And I just think about, wow, that must be challenging. 
it's got to have impact on you growing up, you know? For sure. For sure. Yeah. It is. It is. I mean, kids are hard and growing up is hard, you know, no matter where you're doing it and who you are. I also think there's some awesome things coming out of the generation that is like, you know, little to like 16, 17 right now. Um, I have a million siblings, um, but like five sisters who are all under the age 18 from like 10 to 18. Hmm. And um, seeing how they are in not accepting what adults are feeding down to them or not accepting of conformity or just like even things like gender identity and sexuality and all of that, just how empowered they are to like do their thing and be who they are is, uh, is really awesome. And I think is very unique to where we're at and like access to social media and the internet and growing up in this age where this has just always been the way it is for them. Whereas, you know, when we were kids, you know, it was a thing, but you weren't so deep in it at like five. So it's, it's really interesting. I, I think there, there's still a lot of issues and a lot to be done and conformity and being popular and like all these silly things will always be an issue as, as preteens and teens. Um, but there is something really empowering about the ability to kind of do you mm-hmm. now, which I didn't feel as much uh, as a kid. You talk about five. I didn't have a computer in my house until grade twelve. Like, well, no, I mean now. <laughs> I'm, I mean I'm, now. I'm thinking. No, I'm like, I'm like now. Like these these kids. Like I didn't I have a phone until I was twenty or nineteen. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, the internet wasn't even like fast enough to do anything until I was literally grade 12. So it's I like, was at the library like to get access to internet. Same. Like I was like, Oh yeah. I was logging onto like DOS systems. I'm showing my text site now, but like logging into yeah. DOS. And, I was still what? looking at encyclopedias, like our English teacher. Yeah. 11. Like paper, go, go like in a book. I, I, that's <laughs> the problem is that I never had, the transition of getting on the computer and doing things all on the computer. It was always still, Mm -hmm. and then I didn't really go to college. So I never really had that. I'm still super Mm -hmm. old school. And I just think about the, the kids nowadays and like, this makes me sound super old, which I guess I'm 37. So it's like, I'm not (laughs) like, but I still feel young, but it's like, it's a completely different world. Yeah. And like, I, I, I agree with you and I love that. I just think, man, I'm so glad we didn't have phones back then. And yeah. I'm so glad because I did so much stupid shit that nobody yeah. needs to know. And yeah. and I just think that, you know, there's a lot of this bullying and, and that shit just drives me up the wall with like, at least, you know, I've been on both sides, the bully, the bullying. You know, I got taught a lesson after being a kid in elementary. I moved schools to another school across the country. I got bullied. It was like a lesson. Mm-hmm. And I knew though I could pull away and go home and escape it and then have a fresh day the next day and just hope people forget about it. And these kids nowadays, they're, they can be little savages and just kind of like follow you around on these devices too. And that scares me a little bit. I'm like, cause like you can't unplug, you know, you can't like, and like that thinking about that freaks me out. I'm like, imagine not to like be negative about, you know, about it or anything, but like that 
that I think about it, I'm like, if if somebody's having trouble at school and you know, you just you, you can't really these kids can kind of like find you. I mean, it's also as adults, right? Yeah, like true. trolling is a fucking huge issue. Like yeah. being in tech and being a, a woman in tech. Yeah. I've had my fair share and they can find you. And, and I, I've done talks on this where I've talked about the, the anonymity, anonymity that the internet provides you to where you can hide behind an alias and not really be who you are can be so damaging because it takes away any sense of repercussions or um, it dehumanizes the whole experience. So, you know, the technology, the internet, it's a powerful tool and it's awesome, right? Like we're Mm. using it right now. Mm, Um, But it also needs to be used with um, caution and respected. And when we dehumanize the experience and abstract ourselves away from who we are online, it's it's very interesting and it gets it gets a little scary. Yeah, and it it it, it allows for yeah the online bullies and the keyboard warriors. Mm-hmm. It's it 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 scares people from speaking their truth too, and it kind of mm-hmm. like just they have to hide behind. It, it's a really interesting time for sure. And you're right. It's such a, it's such a tool. And if used in the right way, like what we're doing or, you know, creating programs and connecting to people through it is amazing, but mm-hmm. you're right. Like there's, it's a, it's, it's probably the most interesting time to be alive right now with what we're experiencing in the world. Mm-hmm. Like it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> and it's rapidly changing. You know, year to year, uh, it's changing. So it's, it's, it's an interesting and exciting time in human history for sure. How has this year impacted you? How has 2020 been for you? And in the last eight months, you know, is it eight or nine months? I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know anymore. How, how has it been for you? Uh, Oh, oh. I thought 2019 was hard and let's 2020. Un- let's unpack the uh. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can unpack it if you want. So, I mean, one good thing is, you know, joining Fit for Service um, has been a beautiful experience. But my 2020 has, and I started a new job, so that was great. But ultimately, my 2020 has just been fraught with loss. My grandfather, who I was very, very, very close to was diagnosed with brain cancer, August of 2019 and, uh, passed away in, uh, June of this year, 2020. Sorry. Thanks. And I think watching a loved one deteriorate, deteriorate, especially uh, my grandfather was a teacher for decades and was very much an intellectual. So someone who prides himself on his mind is extremely difficult. Um, but to do it under the umbrella of COVID and a pandemic, um, makes it that much more difficult. And I feel deeply for all the folks who have been losing loved ones this year. You know, I had an inch, uh, an inch gap in a window 
to basically see him for the last couple weeks that he was alive and lost access to him in February, uh, late February, um, and and didn't uh, didn't touch him again until uh, he passed. So it was uh, it was rough. Yeah, because of the restrictions to visit him. Yeah, he was in um, wonderful care, but he was in a facility that had um, maybe four other elderly folks there. So as he went into hospice, they we didn't have access to him. So, hmm. yeah. How did you process it? Oh, I don't think I did. <laughs> I do not think I did. I think I'm still processing it. I mean, I've processed some of the grief, but, you know, it takes a long time to process death of someone so important to you, to process death of anyone really. And we're not, we are not taught that or equipped for that in our society, you know, and I know, I know, you know, this, and I think it'll be, I think it'll be a while. I think it'll be a couple years probably before I've really sat with, with, uh, with everything that it means. I still like pick up the phone to text him, you know, and because of the pandemic and the, just the weirdness of the year, uh, it makes it even harder to really grieve. Um, and then in addition to my grandfather, um, my stepson's mother lost her father a few days after my grandfather passed. She lost her father to COVID. So um, my kids lost a couple grandpas in like a few days. And then we experienced another two losses uh, this week. So I think there's just going to be a couple years of dealing with grief and loss and listening to a lot of Ram Dass on <laughs> grief. Um, yeah. And death. What do you think you're being taught by this loss? Do you look at it sometimes as being, because I have tried to look at the and reevaluate what death really is to me mm-hmm. in the past, you know, like mm-hmm. if you were to look at it from, if you had to learn a lesson or something, what do you think you're being shown or that you think you're going to need to learn with your relationship to loss? And maybe Mm -hmm. how will that change or, you know, like it's, it's a challenging conversation and there's, it's impossible to have the right formula because I think first of all, it's, the denial phase is real and it doesn't go and 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 the acceptance of it is really challenging mm-hmm. yet yet you know death itself i think the the experience of it we're conditioned to think it's a really bad thing right in our society but it's actually you know like ramdas it's actually a beautiful thing but mm-hmm. it's hard to tell somebody that's been through loss that it's a beautiful thing right? Yeah. So maybe like, are you, what do you, yeah. Like, do you ever think about maybe you're what you need to learn through this or what is coming at you? Yeah. I think one of the things um, that I realized after my grandpa had been diagnosed uh, was, well, it was kind of like this, Oh fuck. I think I might be a little spiritual 
because (laughs) I knew he was going to die and it made me very, very sad. But I also had this feeling of like, okay, I'll see him again and it'll just be different, Mm -hmm. you know, or I'll talk to him and it'll be different. And, um, I had this beautiful moment with, um, him and my grandmother on the phone. Um, cause I was holding the phone to his, to his window so she could talk to him a bit. They've been divorced for, uh, 40 years. Um, but he asked to talk to her one last time and she just told him like, the universe has you. And my grandfather was not a religious or a spiritual man at all. Um, but she just, she just said to him, like, the universe has you. You're okay. And I, I realized, like, this was one of my lessons. Like, I genuinely believed it. And so after I got off the phone with her, I just went up to him and I said, you know, Grandpa, we're going to meet again. I'm right here. And we're connected forever. And you're just going to a different place. And you're going to be alive in a different way. And it I really believed it. Um, and I still do. And so I think one of the one of the things I'm learning is just my way of processing is through that belief that it's just, you know, I almost I'm almost like oh the term, but it's a transition. It's not as much of a loss, you know, and it's hard when we don't have that daily access. But you know, I I still talk to him. Does he talk back? Not necessarily, but like I still talk to him. Um, I think the other thing that that uh, has really come up for me a lot is just appreciation for the people who are still here. You know, and and I've always felt life was short. I've always felt that way since I was very young. Um, I've lost family members and friends before. Um, many, in fact, uh, this year is just compounded. Uh, but I, this year, I just feel this deep appreciation for the people that are still here and how important every moment is, you know, which is kind of cliche, but it's just so true that every moment that you have some with someone is is so important. And, and it's not, it's not these crazy big things you do right? It's just, it's just that hug on the couch. It's just reading the book with the kids at night. You know, it's just making everyone dinner and seeing everyone's smiling faces or playing a game of cards. Like, you know, it's not these crazy big trips or, or all these other things that we, um, we try to assume are going to be the memories that you have. Um, so just appreciation for the day to day. Little things are the biggest things. Yeah. Those are the things you remember. What's so let's talk about the kids. So how, what kind of conversation are you guys having with the kids about Mm -hmm. loss and about death and Mm -hmm. you know, how has that been and how has their, their experience been with all of it? Yeah. I mean, it's, so I have my, my sons are, turned eight yesterday and turned six in a couple months. And then I also have my mom's girls who that was their grandfather as well. Um, so for my sons, they lost both, you know, two grandpas, 
um, for my sisters who are, um, 15, 13, and just 10, uh, my grandpa helped raise all of us, uh, including my sisters. He was, he was essentially the male figure in their life. So with them, yeah. So with them, the conversations are, you know, a bit more deep and more about processing their own feelings and like their own pain about it and that it's okay to be really, really sad and it's okay to be really, really mad and just giving them the space to feel that way. And it's also okay to be completely numb and not know how you feel and know that it's going to take a lot of time to figure it out, you know, Um, so just validating the feelings with the boys, um, you know, it's really interesting because they're young enough that they ask a lot of questions. Uh, and Vinny, the older one, asks, he's more reserved, but when he asks a question, it's it's like thought out. Mm. Um, so they've asked us a lot of questions about, uh, like Vinny asked once, like, does it hurt to die? You know, and um, Joey was asking about God. And... I try to give them as much space to think about things the way they need to. So what do you think it is? You know, where, where do, where do you think people go? Why do you think that? Oh, that's interesting. And then give them some space about maybe what I think, or, you know, give um, their mom or my husband time to talk to them about it too. But I also think it's because it's a pandemic and they lost one of their grandfathers to COVID um, there's also a lot of fear there. So it's a lot of discussions around that they're scared, you know, especially the older one, you know, he breaks our heart, but he's like, I'm worried the virus is going to kill me. And, uh, and that's a lot, that's a lot to hear as a parent and to try to just console them without devaluing what they're experiencing you know, give them the space to feel that fear, but also talk to them about stats and facts and, okay, well, let's, let's work through that so that they don't end up with like being real fucked up in like 10 years, like germaphobe and everything. Right. Um, because they're at that age, right? The, yeah. The shapeable ages. Exactly. Exactly. So just, you know, a lot of validation of feelings and then just letting them drive the discussions, not giving, I mean, that's kind of a rule of thumb with kids anyway, right? Like give them the information they ask for. Don't over give them information. They'll ask what they want to know. Um, yeah. That's, that's a great point. I, I like the idea. See, I grew up in, in like a Catholic mm-hmm. school and I was kind of told how to think and mm-hmm. kind of like told to believe in Santa, so, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I like the idea of really asking the child, like, well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. What, do you, what feels right to you? Mm-hmm. You know, like what, what would you, what would you want it to be? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, without having the fear-based religion as mm-hmm. you're going to burn in the lava if you don't do this, mm-hmm. or you're going to go here if you're, you're good. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a weird it's a weird thing. And growing up with that feeling is like that fear and that's installed at such an early age. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty bizarre growing up like that and thinking about that now that we're having this conversation, cause I haven't really thought about that, but that, mm-hmm. that kind of 
sets the stage to be inferior your whole life. You know, if you mm-hmm. mess up or you, and you know, if someone has a religion, that's their prerogative, you know? Um, but like, I love the idea of allowing the free flow of conversation to really be like what feels right to you. Because we know that as soon as we hit a certain age, there's conditioning and we're mm-hmm. not really, we don't really think for ourselves anymore. We don't really do the things that we feel that we want to do because it doesn't fit society's direction, which is sad. And I hope that changes. So I feel like as much time as we can give kids to really think for themselves and be mm-hmm. in that space, the better. And I think when it comes to the conversation of spirituality and God, yeah, like let them let them be wherever they want it to be, you know? Yeah, and it it teaches you a lot about where your kids are at and who they are and how they think and what they value, right? I think uh, we can be very pers- proscriptive about who we think our kids should be. And perhaps it's, you know, sometimes egotistical as they are a reflection of us, right? Like that's a super old school way of looking at it. Our kids are a reflection. And um, you can learn so much from just listening to what they think about something, you know, even if it's three or four words, like it's, it's just awesome to just hear where they're coming from before you dictate down to them how they're supposed to think or feel about something. Um, And it, you know, to your point, it's just such a good exercise for them and to be able to build those communication skills, right? Like not shut it down and just listen to what the adult says, but be able to come to an adult and say, I'm feeling this way. Well, I don't know. I think this, you know, and be able to have even sometimes a disagreement, you know, a respectful theological disagreement at seven. Um, but it's, it's like very empowering to them as individuals. So. It's so important. And I, I was, I'm looking, thinking back, thinking like I had a, an older brother and a lot of older cousins and my family always treated me like a little, like an older person, like an adult. Mm-hmm. So I love that about it. And I love when they like give you the stage to kind of hang out and talk and not be treated like a little kid. Like mm-hmm. that little, like the babying of kids, I don't think is a good idea. Like, oh, how are you doing? Like, it's nice, but like, there's a certain aspect where it's like, you, you, as a kid, you're like, I'm not a little kid. Like, you want to be treated like <laughs> you're like, you're somebody. I remember that as a yeah, people like that you're treated, a person. <laughs> people that treated me like that, I always, re- I was like, oh, I feel like a, like a person. You're right. Yeah. And then there was people that would talk down to me and I could feel that and I would have a resentment. And that's yeah. so. We remember that stuff. We that stuff starts early. It does. You know, and you get that from teachers too. There's mm-hmm. the teachers that you really like that see you and listen to you. And mm-hmm. those are the ones that have impact. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's rare there was rarely many teachers that I was I can think about that actually saw me or saw anybody and allowed them to kind of think for themselves. And it's it's really yeah, we're, we we just get told how to think so quickly. And yeah, um, yeah the longer we can play in that, that area, the better, you know? Mm-hmm. Thinking about this stuff, it's like having so many like thoughts about, you know, how important it is. And yeah, yeah and it, it really shapes us who we are. And that age is so important. 
And, but at the same time, you know how we talk about trauma and when it starts. It's like, do we want to have kids have the perfect, it's like, because we, look, we've been through shit. We've been through hard times, but it's like, that's almost been good for us too. It's like, mm-hmm. it sucks, but like, we're also becoming who we are because of it. So it's like, do we want to avoid everything kids going through all this stuff? Cause we want to keep them out of that. Or is there a, a certain amount of it that although we don't want them to, that they probably need to go through because it's going to help shape them who they are later. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. we know that these things are, they're like sponges, but it's like at the same time, it's, they almost have to go through some shit, you know? I think there's that instinct to protect and it's a very deep, deep instinct, but that there is a difference between allowing your children to experience life and over-sheltering them from mm. doing so. So, you know, I, I've spoken with and worked with a lot of folks who are who are very sheltered for like their first 18 to 22 years of life And when shit hits the fan, it is so much harder for them. Mm. And it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to have horrendous things happen to you, but just having family discussions about when bad things happen. I mean, the amount of people that are like, no, something bad would happen. And my parents never talked to me about it. Like it's baffling. So just having conversations and allowing your kids to have space to process and ask you questions and question you is really powerful. And then often kids have things happening to them that like we don't know about, you know, you don't know about what's happening at school. You don't, you're not there with them. So giving yourself the space to talk to your kids about what's going on. And, you know, it, again, it doesn't all have to be horrible events. Life doesn't have to be a series of that, but figuring out what it is that's, impacting them at any given moment and helping them process through that will make them a stronger person when things do get really hard, no matter what age that is. First of all, like what has been the biggest struggle or the biggest challenge as a parent and how has it helped you in your life? Because I, I'm not a parent. I don't know what that feels like. I hear everybody that has kids and is like the best experience of their life. It change, teaches them. I, I, you know, take care of myself. So I don't know and I can't speak of it. But how has that helped you? And what has been a challenge for you that comes up? I mean, I think it's it's all challenging, um, especially just being someone who's human and has their own trauma and their own experiences. You know, my mother had my uh, one of my younger sisters when I was 16, and I helped her with that baby. And um, I've kind of always felt that deep need to take care of everyone around me. Mm. So when I was lucky enough to get the bonus kids and become a stepmom, I realized very quickly that my deepest challenge would be actually taking care of myself because I find it very easy to get lost in taking care of a child or a partner or everyone else but me. And I think being uh, in that role and having that responsibility to be healthy and um, keep up with them and um, 
sane enough and communicative enough and all of these things, um, it really showed me that I do have to take care of me. You know, I can't just bleed for everyone else and not fill my own cup. Um, and that, that's been a big challenge for me, taking care of myself as opposed to everyone else. Yeah. And, you know, coming in and, and being a stepmom and, and it's good that kids are younger too, though. Like I remember mm-hmm. uh, my, my experience with my stepmom wasn't ideal. Um, yeah. you know, it was from a family of four kids and it was just me and my dad. It was, it was, it was a nightmare and it went on my entire life. Um, yeah. um, unfortunately, but I learned a lot from it. She's one of the greatest teachers now, even though, you know, I still have this like I, I was a teenager and anything as a teenager is really challenging. Like, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, being, you know, moving a country across from my family and, and being bullied and having this crazy stepmom And it, for me, it was challenging, you know, yeah. and I might've been a pain in the ass too, you know, like there, you probably been, were, I probably, <laughs> I, probably, I probably was, but teenagers you know, are hard. There was hard. And, and like, just that to be able to have that, um, it's, it's, it's a challenge in itself and it's always great when it works out and things flow and it's, um, mm-hmm. but I can, you know, I can only imagine that th- that can be challenging, which kind of brings me to the next bit of like where I want to take this before we wrap it up is, um, so you've been on a bit of a transformational journey. You've been doing a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of the, the stuff that we talk about and, you know, a lot of times you know, because I heard you talk today as well about, you know, the stuff that you've been through and, you know, we've all been through trauma. We've all been through a lot of different things, different, some more than others, but a lot of times we can get stuck in the story. We can get Mm -hmm. really stuck in retelling that story and identifying Mm -hmm. with that as being us still, because we've gotten so much attention or we've gotten validation or we've gotten dopamine hits or whatever you want to call it in that story and it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. And as we do the work, sometimes we don't necessarily need to keep telling the story, but we do. And we, and it, because it's comfortable and you know, and I, I go through it and I've noticed a lot of people as well is that we, it's, it's hard sometimes to tell a new story. So my question is, through your journey so far and transforming and, and really working on this stuff and, you know, discovering more of who you are, a deeper level, has that been challenging for you to, to, to tell a new story? You know, like, and what kind of things come up? Like what has been things that surface as far as, 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 as these stories? And yeah, I guess like, what has that been like for you and during this journey? I don't know if that question was worded right, but you get what I'm saying, I think. I mean, I'll flow with it. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a, what, uh, that wasn't a very good question. But, but you know. No, you're fine. You're fine. I think, uh, I think one challenge has been that I actually am one of those people that um, doesn't talk about my story that much, right? I take care of everyone else. Mm-hmm. I don't actually focus on me. So uh, talking about my story like being vocal about it has been empowering. I think that 
a challenge, the biggest challenge for me has actually been feeling the feelings associated with the story. So to your point about telling the story over and over again, right? These things have happened. This happened to me. I have this trauma. This person did this to me. Okay. How does it make you feel? How do you feel? We don't process our, process our feelings that often about the things that happen to us. And then the other thing I've been exploring is there are, you know, there, I, I did EMDR, which is like a hypnotic therapy. And it was really great to use visualization to uh, move past severe trauma. It's very powerful because trauma lives in your mind and physically in your body right? There's an amazing book, The Body Keeps Score, that digs deeply into this. And uh, I think we do a lot of healing on like the talking realm. And we do a lot of healing on the like, well, yes, that, that I w- I'm angry about that. But how much do we sit in the realm in between our psyche and our emotions and like let them meld? So a lot of the work I've been doing has been that melding of like, okay, I understand this thing happened to me. I am connected to this thing. This thing really sucks ass. Oh fuck. How do I feel about it? And like, what are the emotions that I still have tied to this? Uh, Access to those emotions have been the biggest challenge, but also when, once I get there, like I got there in Sedona on like the last day, once I get there, it's like, it just feels like, you know, a weight lifted off my shoulders and just like a warm blanket wrapped around me. Um, yeah. So it's, it's been like definitely difficult. Yeah. And the acceptance that what I've noticed, and I talked to this with Kyle, is that sometimes I talked to this with Kyle Dow. So that sometimes what I've noticed to myself is that we want to keep feeling like it's always got to be hard. Mm. It's and that we got to relive that. And it's always, we got to go back to the beginning and it's like, it always needs to be painful. And I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I think we do heal things sometimes it takes time, but we need to acknowledge when we heal. And I think, you know, he, Dr. Joe Dispenza says, um, memory without emotion is without emotional charge is wisdom. And I think we can get wrapped up in and caught in that feeling that we always need to feel broken. And I think that I noticed in Sedona that I felt healed. There was things that I thought were going to make me really emotional that actually made me feel empowered and Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, shit. Like, maybe I don't need to feel like this now. Maybe I can step into something else. But I think mm-hmm. that's the problem is sometimes we get, we always feel, and that might even be like what the personal development and what the world sort of preys on at some, some points is like to make yeah. you feel like you're broken all the time. And we aren't. We're fucking mm-hmm. strong too. Like, yeah, let's feel it. But we don't need to always live there. You know, like Mm -hmm. we can heal too. We can move on. And that's what I mean. Like tell a new story, like create something new. It's like, when does that, when does that like, you know, what we've been through, how long does that need to keep being a conversation until Mm -hmm. we say, fuck that. Like that's Mm -hmm. like, it's, you know, and, and I think 
that's that's a challenge too and that's important when dealing with this this transformational work is to knowing when it's like to let go and when do, what does that feel like and you know because we do get these emotional responses and we get addicted to almost feeling bad for ourselves in a way in a weird way because then we get mm-hmm. people's attention and then people want to like we know that people will come and it's it's such a weird thing and i've just it's been surfacing mm-hmm. for me lately mm-hmm. like you know like i don't know yeah yeah i think it's easy to get caught up in everything we get when we feel bad and it can be distracting from the actual processing. And I, I won't call it moving on, but for me, once I know something is like healed, it just feels like acceptance. Mm. You know, and it's usually after I've done the acknowledgement, I've understand what happened, I feel the emotions associated, I integrate those emotions. And then I just I kind of just feel acceptance. Like I feel acceptance for myself. I feel acceptance for what it was and it just, it's there, Mm. you know? And I think to your point about media and society, we do, we freaking look at all the self-help things out there. Like the goal is not always to make someone feel like they are strong and powerful and badass. Often it is to make them feel like they're broken. So it's, it's really interesting conversation to have about like, when do you know you're actually healed? Yeah. And I think that's the reason what's going on in the world too, is they, the more we're in fear, the more we buy, the more we consume, the more, you know, uh, we don't want to feel healed in any way, because then that means we're content. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think it's also, it's also, um, being able to recognize those positive feelings isn't super easy either. Mm. Like when people have lived in trauma. So I had, I had like an interesting moment with my husband earlier where like, I was like bothering him and I was like, Oh, Hey, what you doing? What you doing? And he's like, what's going on? And I was like, I think I'm happy. Just wait, don't acknowledge it. Cause it might disappear. Let's not talk about it. I think I'm happy. And I remember living so many years, not really knowing like what's happiness like. It's like people ask that about like being in love. What does love feel like? Well, if you haven't felt it, you don't, you can't really freaking explain it. Right. And so I think that the positive emotions we're not always as familiar with and like being able to recognize I am feeling happy. I'm not feeling my pain and my trauma and my angst and my anger and all of that right now. Like I'm actually feeling happy. I'm feeling loved. I'm feeling content is really, really valuable to focus as much on the positive emotions as you do on the negative emotions and then start to shift that into the positive realm. But it's 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 immensely difficult when you first start trying to do that. Love it. Well, I know we're getting up for time here. So yeah. we got to wrap it up. When Where can everybody find you? And what are you working on that people can check out? Well, uh, you can find me on Instagram at cast.ferrara. Uh, and on there, you'll get a vibe for what I've been working on. I'm doing some coaching, some intuitive coaching. I feel like everyone's coach. 
Um, also some business consulting, uh, relationship coaching, all that, all that solid stuff and, uh, the links up there. So that's the best place to get a hold of me now. I want to be honest with you. I think you're going to be a fantastic coach. What? I, I'm not like, I know we <laughs> talked about it before, but oh, there's lots of coaches out there. I think you have such a unique ability to relate to people in a certain way that you're going to kill it. So I'm really oh, happy to hear you. that. You <laughs> that no, I'm not just saying that. Like, I really thank think you. you're going to be awesome. And the more you learn, learn more, you step into that and just fuck what everybody else is doing in their coaching programs and do yours. <laughs> Honestly though, I think yeah. it's going to be great. And I'm excited to see what you create because everybody's got a unique, it's the same thing that stopped me from coaching. It's the same people mm. that stop everybody. It's like we think that there's too much or there's other people doing it. It's like, no, we all have our unique gifts and we all have yeah. our unique stuff to offer. And yeah. I think sometimes we just need friends to be able to be like, look, step into that shit, you know? And I'm, I'm, Do ex- it. <laughs> I'm excited for you. So um, thank and, you. And to continue to go along with you on this journey, I'm super grateful that we connected. So thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, Cass. Thank you so much, Lance. Have an amazing day, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. If you guys got value from that, please leave us a review on Apple, share it with a friend, or tag us in a story on Instagram. Really appreciated. And as well, subscribe. When you subscribe, you automatically download to whatever platform you're on and it's much appreciated. We're also available on YouTube. So if you want to watch future episodes on YouTube, go over there and subscribe also. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.